Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What with Dan and Julie. Today we've got Vanessa on, who is an, the owner of a law firm. Hi, Vanessa. Hello. How are we? Surviving upright. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm taking next week off. So I've got this kind of full pelt run at a four day week. Yes, um, nice. Nice. I think everyone's missing the East already and certainly that uh, those chocolate eggs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoovering up my children's chocolate, which I don't think is quite the done thing. (laughs) Um, Should we jump straight into it then? Do you want to tell everyone a little bit about what you do, Vanessa? Yeah. Okay. So um, I came out of being employed by other people six years ago in January to start my own legal consultancy. And I had spent quite a few years understanding quite how unpopular we were as a profession Um, and I wanted to do things as differently as I could I think I was still embarrassed about saying I was a solicitor at that point so I started in-house legals which wasn't a law firm and it was intended to keep people away from people like me because by trade I'm a litigator So just putting contracts in place, reviewing contracts, helping people stay out of trouble. And that grew into my clients needing a full service law firm because there's some stuff which only solicitors can um, provide for clients. So Tiger Law started four years ago last month and we started Tiger HR, which is like a standalone HR consultancy. So that was originally servicing Tiger Law clients, but has a life of its own these days. And Tiger Law attracted entrepreneur clients, I guess, because that's a connection I've got to those kinds of clients. Mm -hmm. The people who had either started their companies 40 years ago and were looking to hand over to the management team or their kids, all the way through to people who are starting up right now. Um, so buying and selling companies, buying and selling commercial property, um, intellectual property, all of those sorts of things. And now we offer services to family and private client um, clients as well. So Just to go back on something, you said there's obviously a, almost like a bit of a stigma or reputation around the practice of law. What, why is that? <laughs> Uh, that is because we charge a lot of money. And um, as a sector, we haven't generally been very transparent around how and why uh, we charge the way we do. So one of the first things I did was make sure that the bulk of our work was on fixed fees, for example. So there's this awful feeling that clients have got of never really knowing how big their bill is going to be. Mm. And they don't like communicating with their lawyers because they think this email, that phone call, that's going to be another six minutes. And, you know, you hear stories about people who are chasing their solicitor for feedback and then being charged for the chasing no oh yeah really so that kind of thing gives us a really bad name and um the other big bugbear is that uh we tend to intentionally confuse our clients because then we can charge them more for translating our own jargon and clients often don't feel that we're properly in their corner um, because we don't want to get sued for negligence we we don't 
often commit to advising our clients on a particular course of action we say you've got 15 options it's up to you to decide which one you want to take i'm not going to be responsible for the outcome wow so what what was the final sort of the straw for you to decide to leave and and do this for yourself Mm. well i had a fairly robust kick up the bum um i had gone in-house uh as in-house counsel and um the guy who was running this small group of companies was offshore. He was Phoenix in one company, so liquidating it and transferring everything and everyone to a new company. And um, I was pregnant with my third child. I had hyperemesis, so really nasty morning sickness. I was off for a week. Um, he discovered that I was pregnant and lo and behold, my new contract never turned up. So there I was. No jobless oh awful yeah um but actually probably the best thing that ever happened to me mm-hmm. so what were your steps after after that point you know you're you're pregnant you've got no job what how did you go about actually going you know what i'm gonna do this by myself now oh it's better than that daniel i was the sole breadwinner in my family as well because i have a house husband so um i as a litigator weighed up all the pros and cons of going to the tribunal just wasn't going to work um for a number of reasons so i offered my services to the guy who did this to me uh freelance for a month and during that month i waited for the medication to kick in so i could stop throwing up and i got in touch with everyone i knew and said um i'm setting up by myself how about it and I joined a networking group. At the end of that month, I had a meeting with him and I sacked him as a client. It was absolutely <laughs> awesome. One of the best meetings I've ever been at. And um, I caused him to swear at me and that made me so happy. And uh, I then did a huge amount of networking. And uh, by August, I had my baby on um, August the 22nd. I was by that point the size of a small ferry and um i met a senior partner of a firm of accountants on monday had the baby that week and i was working with him and everyone else that i had met leading up to that point uh after that you know within about 10 days two weeks i started my pa two weeks before i had the baby because i thought even i'm not going to be working from the hospital but I was. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, you just, you bloody work. Wow. Wow. No, bit of a legend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to jump back a bit, though, obviously, uh, the practice of law takes quite a lot of education. Um, could you run us through what education is required and what you had to do? Yeah. So I followed my own path to a degree. Um, I didn't do a law degree. I really like people who don't do law degrees coming to the law because they have a real breadth of education, which one narrow focus uh, may not offer. Mm. Um, I did a philosophy degree and um, I remember thinking at the end of that degree, well, what the hell now? What do you do with a philosophy degree? (laughs) Um, I remember this is in the days of 
pay phones oh hanging God. off the phones my dad going <laughs> now um and i just i kind of went back to an idea I'd, I'd had as a child before my very naughty adolescence um so i did a conversion course the cpe which is like the law degree in a year wow and then i did the lpc at the college of law and then you need a two-year training contract this is all changing. Um, it's changing significantly now and all for the better because it will open up equality of opportunity to people who aren't able to fund that in one go or who have um, experience that can go towards legal qualification. And so there, it's not just university, law school, training contract, now you're qualified. Um, there are a number of different routes to qualification, which is fantastic, um, including Silex, for example, and the um, periods of qualifying experience, which can replace the traditional standard training contract. And we've got a number of different routes at Tiger Law. We've got five or six aspiring um, lawyers at the firm right now. So what are some of the changes that are allowing people to go in different ways? Because that's so important, I think, that not just law, but a lot of industries look at the way people can get in. Yeah, I mean, the issue that we've got as a profession is that law schools are private enterprises and they don't care about the number of jobs at the end of it. They just want the fees from the law students. So and this was even the case 25 years ago when I was um Ging up to go to law school. So you've got a finite number of training contracts and a huge number of wannabe solicitors. And so they're cherry picking and using quite arbitrary, I think, measures um, for choosing their candidates, their new recruits. And it means that a number of people who didn't go to, I'm using quote marks here the right universities the right law schools don't have a double first um, didn't go hiking in the Himalayas with the um, senior partner's uncle <laughs> you know all of these things these people aren't getting chances mm. um, so there are ways different courses now to get your uh, academic foundation which can be done part-time remotely all of these different ways of studying around work. Um, you can start your training while studying now. I've done that uh, with my first training solicitor that I qualified at Tiger Law. And a number of people who are paralegals are also on the Silex um, route, which means that you build up a portfolio of your experience for Silex and you gather your qualifications in that way mm. um, through to one of the team is uh, taking a legal exec um, into conveyancing. So her route is a bit different again. Um, she's doing modules with assessments at the end. She can convert to Silex. You get to Silex 6 and you start talking about qualification um, as a fully fledged fee earner. And then you've got people who are doing their legal um, courses and they're on off. So I've got one who is off on six month study leave 
but prior to that he's clocked up six months of qualifying experience so we can restart that clock and then after a period he can qualify as a solicitor because he'll have everything in his basket at that point so people are able to work start later mm. um fund things themselves find help uh and speak to perhaps more progressive employers like tiger um to get well, their chances. i was just about to say it sounds like you take a real interest in you know your employees and how they're doing and how they get into law and having a, a breadth of, of different people from from different kind of experiences um which probably is safe to say in law necessarily wasn't always the way it was just very you know one path one way in and maybe people were expected to work you know all day every day there was a culture in law wasn't there that you know it's pretty brutal oh it is brutal and in fact um if you only allow one avenue into this uh you are much more likely to have a an homogenous group of people who make it because it's geared up it's designed by them for them pale male and stale <laughs> and that's how the profession will stay unless we start opening up different avenues so um we need to encourage people from different socioeconomic backgrounds into this profession so that we've got real diversity um i went to law school with steph boyce who has just been appointed at the law society and of course, she's championing diversity and inclusion. And that's going to, I think, really propel a sea change in the sector. And it's needed. Um, there are hugely talented people who are prevented from entering their professions of choice because they don't have a quality of opportunity. So let's just do better. Yeah, certainly. And we've spoken to a few lawyers recently that, have also been championing multiple different ways and massive diversity and different ways of doing stuff in that practice because it is such an old school I, I want to use the word traditional but it's not right because it's just stifling creativity uh yeah so i mean this is a big one for me where how that relationship sits between creativity and this fuddy-duddy kind of stayed very complacent um, element of our industry um, uh, it, it's going to change it will shift mm. uh, I think that one of the silver linings um, has been that we are now able to work remotely flexibly this promotes equality um, most of my team is working around small children and they would have been forced to decide whether to breed or pursue a legal career mm, yeah, they don't certainly. have to make that choice anymore yeah no obviously the uh, the world of law is, is huge there's lots of different avenues you can go down how did you sort of decide what you wanted to do within law oh mm. so i'm a bit fighty by nature <laughs> and um i think it would always have been litigation of some kind I actually went into commercial litigation because I thought there would be less human misery um, mm. as opposed to personal injury or family. I didn't think that I wanted to deal with that level of um, stress and upset. What I hadn't 
thought about in my naivety was actually people who start and run their own businesses. Those businesses are part of the family. They're feeding the family. It is everything. Mm. And now that I've run my own business for more than six years, which feels a bit crazy, even saying that, um, I get it. So actually, commercial litigation, when um, you're dealing with SMEs as opposed to corporates, um, is extremely personal and extremely stressful. Uh, But I think it was always going to be fighting for people. It's extremely difficult to market. It's horrible because you're literally saying to people, I hope you never have to speak to me, but when it all hits the fan, here's my card. Mm. Um, So in-house legals and Tiger really was founded on the ethos of prevention being better than cure. Uh, and I wanted to remain in the fluffy area of non-contentious contracts. But, um, you know, once you've got that relationship with clients, they tend to come to you for everything. So, of course, we do do litigation. So what would an average day be like for you or somebody working at your law firm? You know, what do you actually do day to day? Mm, what I do is probably quite different to what anyone else in the team does. Yeah. Uh, I guess I guess then let's talk about the team maybe. Yeah, so we all check in. Um, we have instant messaging, secure instant messaging, which is linked to um, our client work, but we also have like a common room. Um, some of us are silly enough to also have this as an app on our phone. So we're, <laughs> we're really close knit. Now, I haven't met maybe two thirds of my team, um, but we speak all day, every day. So we check in, we have a coffee together first thing in the morning. We talk about what's coming up in the day, have a look at the diary. Um, I supervise two or three of the juniors um, and we set up Zooms to walk through documents that we're drafting together um start getting into emails uh a big part of this is prioritizing um work in emails um i encourage people to take tasks out of emails put them in our to-do lists which again are client specific um, but you do have one screen where you you can look at everything and put one day three days seven day deadlines on stuff so that you know what's coming and get things out of email. So helping people learn how to manage their time and be effective is a really big part of training. Um, And then we have client meetings on Zoom, so people can come and sit in, take notes, understand, learn how we speak to clients, how we find out what their needs are, how we resolve those needs. we tend, we just pop in and out of the common room all the time. So we're just gossiping and taking a breath from the drafting. Like you never uh, left the office. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think I'm probably more reactive and available to my trainees than um, being up the corridor with a closed door, certainly. So yeah, there's a lot of communication going around. 
For an aspiring um, lawyer, maybe coming into your firm, what would be some personality traits that you'd look for in them um, that you think would really shine uh, at where you work? Uh, oh, well, for me, it's really about um, a bit of humility. Um, don't come at me with a sense of entitlement seeing a lot of this on LinkedIn right now um a really sparkly sense of humor I like someone who's not afraid to be cheeky mm. um the people that I've brought into the firm I've I haven't recruited via an interviewing process they are people who have got in touch with me um checked in with me interacted with me i've watched them online i've seen their output blogs social media and the rest of it and say over the course of six months got to know them so when i have an opening i just say how about it you know what this is super interesting you saying this because we've talked about this so many times on the podcast now it's not just about having a cv anymore and posting your cv into people's inboxes or handing it in yeah indeed it doesn't read, work it doesn't anymore work that way. So, you have to do what you're saying yeah i'm uh yeah i'm much more likely to react positively if you bother me on linkedin or if you start speaking on my posts and i start seeing your name um and i follow you and you're doing some really interesting stuff um, it pains me because there are some really good CVs and some really nice quirky cover letters, but that's not necessarily going to stick with me. Um, so it's about creating your own brand. You know, you hear people talking about that. Um, so, for example, um, Phil Steventon, the neurodivergent lawyer, has his own blog. I've um, started becoming involved in that. I'm about to become a champion for neurodiversity in law. Um, so interesting. And there's another bit of diversity and inclusion that the profession really needs to grasp. Um, Daisy Duardo, I followed her for months before I invited her to join Tiger. Loved her output. Would that have happened if I'd only got emails and a CV? I don't know. Don't think so. For somebody who's probably sitting here and going, I want to get a, a career in law. What kind of things can they blog about? What kind of things can they, you know, create content around to grab your attention? Maybe just things that interest them within the world and then apply law to it, maybe? I, yes, I, don't I know. think so. I think something that they're passionate about Um what I see a lot on LinkedIn is aspiring lawyers talking about how often they've been rejected and how unfair this is and about their student debts and the rest of it. And um, there was one post that I saw this morning that accused older lawyers of gaslighting, <laughs> which I think is offensive if you consider the origin of that term. Yeah. Because the older lawyers were saying, we didn't have it any easier. You know, and there are people who don't have food to eat. Mm. So how about you just pull your socks up and um, don't just don't do it. Uh, And the thing is, it's the same across loads of industries. It's not just one industry. No. And what you're doing is posting in front of the people that you want to hire you. And you're coming off like a whiny brat. 
So, and, and I'm going to post on this because I find it um, frustrating. Just don't do it. Post on positive stuff that shows you have tenacity, originality, audacity. Mm. Make yourself memorable because currently we've got a wallpaper of whinging and you don't want to be in that. You don't want to be associated with that because you're coming across as negative. Mm. And that's not as an employee, you don't want to bring that into your team. You want, you, Why would of course I? not. Well, they've yeah. fallen down at the first hurdle. Mm. You know, well, they're already whining about the first hurdle, let alone when they've got a proper deadline coming up. Oh, mate, you have no idea of the abuse that people my age went through as trainees. I mean, there was no safe space. You got told that you would never be a solicitor. You faced rampant misogyny, racism and the rest of it. Mm. You know, that would be in the papers these days. So we didn't have it easy. You had to develop a thick skin. And um, when you try to shut down boomers, which is not my generation, but I might get called a boomer for saying this <laughs> kind of stuff. When you shut down a boomer and accuse us of gaslighting, really? Mm. Um, because it's going to, it's the pressure in most sectors. This is the one I have experience of. The pressure in this sector, whether or not it's your manager, the clients certainly will expect you to buck your ideas up. So if you don't like that, don't, don't try mm. this career path. If you can bounce back and um, pick yourself up and decide to be positive, because positivity is often a decision. It's an act of will. It's not someone putting it in your lap. Um, then by all means show off about it and I don't mean don't talk about vulnerability I don't mean that at all I think what you're saying is these things that you had to deal with when you were coming up and coming through were awful and, and the, the law industry is changing them so you know it's not what it once was but it's getting better and people like yourself are addressing these issues and are making <laughs> law firms a, a good place to work yes so I'm the last person you want to be um, saying, mm, well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I'm so rude. Um, but be positive, engage positively. LinkedIn is not a platform for whining about how hard you've got it and then not accepting that other people have it harder. Mm. I mean, you know, people, mature students, it's snowing again. I can't believe it. Um, mature <laughs> students who are studying around family who have faced huge hardships and are still striving have not had a cent paid for them um, and are putting everything into their the start of their legal career are so impressive. Don't tell those people that mum and dad paying for this that and the other and you not finding a training contract and and actually the post this morning saying that jobs should be guaranteed Ew. um sorry no no that's not how you start off no um so going from that into what are some of the positives um of the industry for you um 
what in for me personally yeah for you personally in your experience you know what what positives do you take away from the job you do well I guess I must love it I must love living with a certain amount of stress but um you are having a meaningful impact on people's lives so you this is why you have to be able to handle pressure because at some points in your career you will have someone's life in your hands not in the way that a doctor does but certainly in a really meaningful impactful way and you will be responsible utterly for their outcome so you um understand people's priorities personally because their business is part of that and also you know you can imagine that family law for example you are really integral to someone reaching their objective and um while that it's a double-edged sword because you know the stress can be um quite monumental you're also having a really positive impact so even in litigation commercial litigation you're helping someone achieve the least bad outcome which is kind of the best you can hope for um but you are helping people yeah certainly on the other side of that what would be some less favorable aspects of this industry well um when people aren't in it to help and are purely in it for status kudos and money um so there is certainly an element within the profession who i think are probably also attracted to politics maybe you Mm. know that kind of um wanting to be in a pedestal and lord it over uh the people who need your help i don't like that And we also like to talk about salary expectations. So we go away and try and find some data uh, and just give you the averages and see if you would agree with that. So for a sort of uh, solicitor in the UK, the average can be from uh, around 34 to 36,000 pounds a year. Um, And then in London, that obviously gets skewed a bit because London salaries are a lot higher. But does that sound about right for you? Um, Well, solicitors will tend to be remunerated on PQE, post-qualification experience. Unfortunately, that's not really meritocratic because you will easily find a 10-year qualified solicitor who's got one year's experience repeated 10 times, um, who gets paid more than someone who's got four years of really diverse, valuable experience. Um, So, it's definitely going to be a lot less in the provinces than the city, but mm. it should build up every year. So you go through from newly qualified to assistant to associate to salaried partner, and then maybe equity partner, um, which should be an awful lot higher than you know the mid thirties. Mm. So your business is, is obviously flying, and you know you just opened another office, right? Uh, yeah yeah I saw that so that that's amazing how have you how did you go about sort of growing the business or has it been quite organic for you very organic very organic 
So um, you've heard that saying uh, that if an entrepreneur doesn't know how to do something, they'll say yes and then go and find out. Mm. Um, It's been a little bit like that. So where we started purely with contract work and we started being asked for um, more diverse areas of law, that's when I started Tiger Law. And by that point, there were four of us. So that included um, HR. And as soon as we opened Tiger Law, we got a ton of commercial property work and things started cropping up. So every time I referred work away from us because we didn't have that expertise in house, um, it pained me. So I would speculate to accumulate. I would get people in who could offer that to our clients so that we wouldn't then need to refer away. Um, most recently family law and private clients so they are their own teams now and I no longer need to send referrals for um, family law up the road so it's really been about servicing our own clients and then um, building on the expertise in-house. And for you what would be something that's uh, not in the job description something you never expected to be doing every now and then as a lawyer that maybe crops up oh well I mean I do quite a lot of advice around um building businesses and uh strategy for clients which I never thought I would be doing and that's only come about because I have done it myself And actually, it's an integral part to even drafting someone's terms and conditions for their business. Because to do that properly, you have to really understand the mechanics of what they're doing. It's not one size fits all, and it's future proofing that. So that's a really nice area of law for me, as is shareholder stuff. But um, yeah, what goes into drafting terms and conditions and um, it even goes into helping them with their websites and working with website developers on our clients' behalf um, because you're thinking about GDPR um, and journeys through the website. So I uh, really enjoy that creative element. Yeah. And uh, would you still go into this industry knowing everything you know now? Ah, interesting. Um, There was a survey maybe three or four years ago that said something like 75% of solicitors would actively dissuade their children from entering the law. Isn't that interesting? That's crazy. That's crazy, yeah. Um, Well, I'm a bit long in the tooth now to think about this clearly. (laughs) So I had the option of staying in academia and studying philosophy, you know, through to an advanced level and possibly becoming a lecturer. So I could be wafting around fragrant corridors talking about Nietzsche at this point, which does seem rather (laughs) (laughs) at times. But um, I had spoken about being a lawyer from single digit age. So I probably would always have gone into this. Mm. well Vanessa it's been an absolute pleasure hearing your story and and everything you're passionate about so uh, thank you so much for coming on my pleasure thank you for having me thank you Uh, where can people find you on social media and your law firm 
So we're on tigerhythenlaw.com. I'm uh, Litty Girl on Twitter. We have social media channels on Insta for Tiger Law and Tiger HR. Um, and we have pages on LinkedIn. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Fantastic. It's been a pleasure.